0: Welcome to the Becoming Well podcast. Join Dr. Deb Gorton
1: and Dr. Mary Hendrickson as they get real in wrestling with the topic of faith and mental health as we seek to understand what Jesus really means when he says, Be
0: well. So today on the podcast, um, Mary and I really wanted to talk about something that is incredibly relevant to what's going on in our country right now, and has a significant impact on mental health and wellness. And for us, you know, we we work and practice in the city of Chicago, our beloved city, but it's a city with a lot of pain and brokenness. And what we're seeing here, a lot of uh, what we're seeing around the country as well, is. Um, is just the reaction to a history of a lot of pain and brokenness in the systems and structures that run throughout our, our nation. And, um, we're seeing a reaction to that. And one of the things that we've that, that both witnessed firsthand is, um, the recent rioting in response to, um, the, the senseless murders of, of numerous, um, black individuals at the hands of, um, of police. And so today, uh, Mary, we want to talk about that, right? And we know it's a sensitive topic, um, but it's important because it's impacting mental health and especially mental health among people of color.
1: Absolutely. And thank you, Deb. I do want to um, let our listeners know that this is difficult for me as well. And I say that because it is something that tends to um, reopen wounds and re-traumatize um, individuals, African Americans that have to uh, feel have to explain or feel the 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 need to explain so that there can be more understanding. It's it's ironic because it may feel like it might be a more divisive, right? We tend to talk about these things and the word divisive um, pops up quite a bit. But it um it can be very healing from a mental uh mental health aspect if we can provide some understanding. Uh, you know, sometimes we see with our eyes and we look through our own schema. Right. Which is just our lens. And we see what's happening through our experiences and our interpretation and our perceptions. But it's all based on uh, all of the things that we've gone through and how we are how we are filtering it. Right. Our filter. Really. Allows us to interpret things the way we interpret them, rather than what may really, rather than reality. I'm having a difficult time saying this because I really want to make sure that I'm very careful with this, and this is one of the podcasts that's uh, a little sensitive for me. So,
0: yeah. Well, I think you know we don't typically do this in our podcast, but maybe we have an intention for this one for our listeners to say that really our hope and prayer for this particular podcast. I mean, for any of our podcasts, right? But for this one in particular, that you listen without an agenda, that you listen to understand. And I want to model that um, as as a white person, as a person from the majority culture that um, is really seeking to understand. And you and I have these conversations a lot offline. Um, and I'm very gracious for your patience with me. And, and I take hopefully responsibility in in my learning process and my engagement and and as an ally. Uh, I appreciate that. You're right. We come in with our life experiences, you know, our, our relationships um, even the places we grew up in and the communities that surrounded us. And we have a preconceived idea and notion that is really challenging to set aside if we're not intentional about that. And so I really appreciate the way that you you articulated that, even though I know that this is very personal for you. And I also just want to acknowledge that it takes a lot for you to engage in this conversation because you are willingly making yourself vulnerable and opening those wounds. And so I just appreciate that that you're willing to do this with me and that you trust me in this as well. And so, um, yeah, so we're just going to say, listen to understand. And if those... Perhaps feelings of judgment or bias or uh, anxiety or anger or whatever pop in. You know, it's important to acknowledge feelings, but but see if you can push through to really get to the heart of what we're talking about today.
1: Good, yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much, Deb. Yeah, so I I uh, it started because I text Deb. We do our podcasts. You know, you guys hear us in the way we talk. We talk exactly like this offline. So, (laughs) and we're usually on the same page. I love it. We're usually on the same page. So I'm texting her and I'm like, we need to do something about the riots and the looting in Chicago and mental health. She was like, I was going to say the exact same thing. Right. And Because we come from a field that we have to address the specific things that are happening at the moment because that is what is affecting the people that come to see us. So we're really trained to be able to to look at these things and 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 be on top of being ready to talk about them. So that's kind of how it came about. But personally for me, before I text Deb, or what made me or led me to text Deb is that I was watching the news, which um you know at this point i'm taking a sabbatical but i was watching the news once again and it what in addition to all of the things uh with the actual issues of why there is social unrest there was a lot of commentary and that a lot of commentary that uh assumed that individuals who, that who are looting and that are rioting, um, it, it, it indicted their character. Now, here's now let me make this clear: protesting is not an issue for me at all. Rioting and looting, I'm not going to put a value judgment on either one of them, but I will try to explain in this podcast the effects as to why or the reason as to why people respond the way they do whether it is helpful or fruitful or not this podcast is this this episode is very much about the mental health aspects as to why there is a response such as looting and rioting so so for our listeners please try to look past the value judgment or the grading of it's right wrong or the other but rather let's let's have this conversation together as to uh the the reasons why that people respond that way in the midst of trauma. And so and I was watching and I just couldn't um get past uh why individuals are having a difficult time understanding the response to so much of the um Murders in the, the blood on the streets. And um, I oscillated between feelings of anger, bitterness, sadness, embarrassment. But I had to come from my um, standpoint of how, you know, of being a mental health professional. And one of the things that I wanted to discuss today, Deb, with you, and then I'll, I'll let you kind of take hold of this a little bit, is um, the idea of trauma and PTSD. In in terms of what they that might look like, when one is experiencing such hurtful and traumatizing uh, uh, situations,
0: you know, I think it's I I think it's really interesting. I just want to go back and validate one thing, and then jump into that too. I think there's this tendency to um um to feel that getting to the root of, of the emotional impact and validating that is there's a fear of I'm, I'm agreeing. And, and, and that's, you know, again, that's not what we're talking about here. We're not saying we're, we're condoning or, or not condoning. We're not making any type of, I love your statement, value judgment on writing and leading. What we're saying is Let's take a pause here and look at what comes out of what anguish and hurt and um, and pain comes out of centuries, essentially of PTSD.
1: Yes, absolutely, and that's what that is. What's caught that's really holding on to my heart right now. We have to understand when enslavement happened and then Jim Crow and then we were we essentially are quote unquote free nobody said okay well here are some therapists (laughs) for you to go see um now that you've got come out of or you know this 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 traumatic history so we were just kind of let go in terms of saying, now you're free, go do what you do, in a sense, right? Because there's an argue that, you know, what that freedom consists of. However, there wasn't any resources available for us or put into place so that we can address the mental health uh, aspects and the trauma that ensues, the the emotional mental trauma that ensued because of the physical uh, trauma. And that is, I think, what we oftentimes miss and even though it, you know, say that one wants to give the argument that it that enslavement happens, uh, you know, over four hundred years ago, it, it it does not take away the actual effects that we're experiencing today. There's gen- it's generational. Right, so there's a book, um, DeGry, I believe is her last name, and it's called Post Traumatic Stress Disorder, and she, it's a wonderful book, and it, and, and it describes, oh, excuse me, Post Traumatic Slave Disorders. Excuse mm-hmm. me, it, it Post Traumatic Slave Disorder discusses the effects on how we are living out generations of trauma. And one of the effects that she talks about is our responses, our response to trauma, and re, whether it's uh, virtual, uh, excuse me, or uh, vicarious, or if it's personal. But one of the things that she discussed is that we do we've never had anything in place to even have us address these type of this type of trauma. So think about if you have someone who has been abused, any other type of abuse. For years and years and generations after generations, and it's never been addressed, it's going to spill over and carry over to the new generation. And the response to that is going to be maybe unhealthiness or maybe things that aren't fruitful because they are responding out of pain and anguish. And they never had an opportunity to understand what is to even open up those wounds and have those wounds cared for. So they're responding and the way that they've been taught to respond, or whatever way that is going to work at that moment,
0: does that make sense? Absolutely. Yeah. Let me see if I can summarize what I think I hear you saying. And um, and again, you know, we, we've had many conversations outside of recording about this, so I'm going to bring in some of that knowledge. But as so I think about, okay, maybe a. Not at all an equal parallel, but just a parallel to kind of give an example. So, I work with a lot of clients who were raised in environments that their emotions were often invalidated, um, growing up, and so they might have heard things like, "You know, it's not that big of a deal. You just need to get over it. Stop acting like a crybaby." And so they internalize that feedback, and they they. they begin to not trust their own emotions. And, and so in response to that, they either ignore their emotional reactions or they overreact to their emotions because they don't know what's appropriate. Because over the years, over time, the people that they trusted most or that they were you know conditioned to trust um, told them that those emotions were not valid. And now, as adults, they tend to react in incredibly self-harming ways or other harming ways, not because they have a malicious intent, but because of the influence and impact of their upbringing. And so, I, I think to kind of maybe translate that over, what I hear you saying is that we've got—I uh, mean, hundreds of years of of slavery, and then—and I'm going to say, quote unquote freedom because we know that there have been unspoken laws that continue to exist in our country and our world today that that still discriminate and and basically enslave individuals but okay so we're living in a in a free society and yet there's this impact of centuries of of um of physical, emotional, mental, spiritual abuse that have occurred and was never dealt with. And so it was like, okay, now, you know, kind of like my clients, like now you're an adult, you got to be an adult. Well, they don't, they, they've never been given a space to heal. And so the. They're responding in ways that that they've been conditioned by society, by their internal society, small society community, to, to respond. Um, and then they're told as an adult, you should know better.
1: Right. And here's an exactly, here's the thing. When we talk about history, the history of enslavement or the history of Jim Crow, it is, you ha- we have to realize that we've internalized much of the way that we've act, we act, therefore we're going to project that, right? So if we, um, so in the deGry book, The Post Traumatic Slave Syndrome, she talks about how uh, maybe uh, so that we get, we got whooped, we got beaten, we've got, we were hung all of these different ways to keep us in line, right? And then all of a sudden, when, you know, we, you know, again, were quote unquote free, we only knew one way to respond because we didn't, your, your parents or people that you, uh, your your environment teaches you how to nurture. It teaches you how to uh, respond with the environment, to respond with the, the with society. But we were only shown, Horror. We were only shown, uh, violence towards us. And we've done a remarkable job in terms of learning to, and, and it, with the Lord, um, understanding how to love in the midst of all that. But then when something happens, you taught us how to, when, when, when things are out of line to be violent. So I don't want to say, okay, we're looting and we are rioting because that's what we've been taught by white people and we can't control ourselves, but there's a little, there's something to that in terms of you wanting us to respond in a way that was other than the way that you respond to us. And the thing about it is when we talk about trauma, that is something, racial trauma is real and racial trauma is rarely considered a form of trauma. And that is really hurting me because if we consider racial trauma as a form of trauma, as sexual and physical trauma and emotional trauma, then we will be able to be a little bit more, I would hope, a little bit more empathic in understanding individual's response. Two different things that they see. So let let us let's let us take this is gonna get a little sensitive. When we take about like sexual assault, um and when we talk about that, if if I came to someone, and and I understand people do this, but for the most part, we're getting a lot of awareness. And I said to you, Deb, something happened to me. I was sexually assaulted. If the first thing you say, well, that's, is it all in your head? Well, what did you do? And we've we've gone through that, right? As women, we've gone through that through, and that's where the Me Too movement emerged. I'm a black woman, by the way, but emerged. And that's, it's being, it's, it's, we are hyper aware of this now. But for some reason, racial trauma can't, it doesn't fit that, right? For some reason, racial trauma isn't considered a trauma, right? And now, so, but it's the same thing. If I came to you, And I said, and you were someone who, you know, wasn't an ally or you were using your eyes and your schema to inform you rather than listening. And I said, you know what, Deb, I experienced racism today or I'm hurting because my brothers are dying on the street and I believe it is racism. Now, regardless if you believe it or not why can I not be afforded that same empathy and understanding that we do with other traumas or that we're being, that we're being made to do with other traumas?
0: Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Because what it comes down to, when we think about, like, let's just take a step back for a minute and talk about trauma. Um, You know, I think about when I, when I was living and working in Virginia Beach, I worked with a lot of military and, Um, You know, and they described experiences when they were in, you know, combat of having to be hyper vigilant. I mean, they were they were literally like their whole body was physiologically activated to be scanning their horizons, looking for threats, protecting their, you know, their their squad, and they were always on, like the level of stress that caused hormone surges throughout their body was ongoing and i would think about from you know from from what i have heard from my community and from clients that i work with and and students and others and, and you and friends it's like that is the lived experience of black people in america today yes we are always on
1: and here's the thing deb that you i love that you said that because that is one of the major symptoms of ptsd right? And whether you wanna say post-traumatic stress disorder or you wanna say post-traumatic slave uh, syndrome, it is aggression or irritability, engaging in destructive or risky behavior, right? So when you talk about looting and violence, oftentimes it's that destructive behavior, hyper-vigilance and hyper-awareness, difficulty concentrating, difficulty sleeping, heightened startled response, difficulty sleeping or staying asleep. I experience all of these things and my brothers and sisters do as well. My black brothers and sisters do as well. So you are correct. I'm constantly, from a personal standpoint, I'm constantly on 10, if we want to put it in layman's term, right? When we're talking about hypervigilance and hyper-awareness, constantly at 10, where I don't have a baseline or what we call a baseline in psychology, right? That where I felt... Relaxed, Right. Oftentimes when people will ask um, about a disorder or something that they are psychologically going through, the the therapist or the psychiatrist uh, or what have you will ask, well, what is your baseline? Meaning when, what's the time where you feel a certain way? Right. I don't have a baseline. What my baseline, my baseline is always on 10. I don't have a time where I felt any other way. So even at the age of 46, I don't have the, uh, you know. The the point the pinpoint where I felt not threatened or I didn't feel like I should be a certain way or I gotta make sure that I'm um, being aware or making sure all all of these things. So to to um, because I find myself having a hard time explaining this. So give to give you an example. I go into stores and for as long as I can remember, I will not pull out keys. I will not pull out my phone out of my purse. I will not pull out a breath mint because I've always been taught and not even taught directly, but oftentimes vicariously seeing the repercussions of um, how African Americans have been treated. I've always been taught that if you pull, put, put something in your purse or if you take something out of your purse, you may be mistaken of putting something in your purse. Right? So even till this day, I will walk into a store and I will make sure just unconsciously, it's unconscious, not to make any sudden moves or maybe go down an aisle where nobody else is, you know, is. And if I do, I'm very aware that I might be um, scanned or looked at. So that's that constant hypervigilance and constant hyperawareness.
0: There's a, um, as a side note, there's a great, you know, the TV show Blackish. They have an episode. Up- well, the talk, and, you know, kind of the generational experience of each of the family members being sat down at some point as a child and being given the talk. As an African American, of uh, how you need to respond in situations like that, and I realize it's a TV show, but it gives kind of a, a, a good, a great example of what you're talking about. Of like, you're 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 essentially for safety. I mean, for literally for the safety of your life, conditioned at a young age to have to be on the lookout at all times for how others are responding to you. And I, I, you know, I I can't even relate to that experience, but I just have to say that that is something that, especially for my white brothers and sisters that are listening to, we cannot minimize that experience in the lives of our brothers and sisters of color, especially African-American brothers and sisters. Because I just think about the stress levels that you must encounter daily, like you said, that you're not even aware of anymore because it's just become so habitual that lead to that always being on and the rarity um, for you to be able to walk into spaces outside of your home will let you just isolate and not encounter the world at all where you're actually able to just breathe and be.
1: Right. And it, absolutely, absolutely. And that in itself, right? that hypervigilance and hyperawareness, can you imagine how that can cause aggression and irritability and difficult sleeping and a, hy- and a heightened rest- a startle response, right? And so when we talk about rooting, uh, looting and rioting, again, that's part of the response to the trauma that we've endured.
0: Yeah, yeah. And I think then my challenge is is, you know, I think about, what you had shared initially, what, what prompted us to want to engage in this conversation is what you're seeing on the news and you know, the judgment and the and the and the accusations being thrown back again at the black community for now well, so now why are you rioting and rooting, and looting like it's like it's a it's a catch twenty-two? And here we are now adding another layer of stress and responsibility of having to explain that if we could step back and say can we look at the heart at the at, the, at what underlies all this and i, I got to, you know okay so we're we're an integrated podcast we talk about faith and mental health and i got to be honest but i'm like believers if you read scripture there is a pattern of this i mean i think about the old testament and the israelites who were enslaved in egypt and then faced generations of enslavement and freedom and enslavement and freedom. And how did they respond? Looting. Right. Right. And I'm not excusing, I'm not condoning, I'm not offering any value-based judgment on this, but but you know, God has called us to a pattern that He demonstrated for us biblically of there is creation, there's sin. There's redemption and there's restoration. And this response at its core, I believe, and I'm going to say this boldly, is the result of, of my sin, my my people's generations of sin of treating a group of God's creation as less than me. And so what does it look like for us to begin the process of reconciliation and I think there's a whole lot of lamenting that needs to come first and foremost.
1: Absolutely. And you know Deb, and I I thank you for saying that because even talking about it at right now and when I and when I would watch the news again I went through so many emotions and some of those emotions came out of, you know, if, if I say embarrassment. Oh, White people are going to think this again. And I, that, 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 that in itself hurts me because I can't, or I feel as if that I do not have the space to heal because I'm constantly defending. Now, defending with non believers is one thing. But defending myself, my hurt, my wounds with believers is indescribable. I can't, that's, when it's non believers, I get angry. With this, when it's with believers at this point, I'm so destroyed and sad because I feel as if my pain doesn't matter because it doesn't line up with your moral law. It doesn't line up with your schema. Therefore that is going to come first to make sure that you know, I don't agree. So when that happens, my wounds, there's, that's like throwing salt on my wounds. That, that is painful. And that is the divisive part to me.
0: And Mary, I just want to say, I am, I am so sorry. As your friend, as your sister, I cannot even imagine that level of pain that you have to endure so often. And as your friend and as your sister, I am absolutely committed to challenging this conversation among my white brothers and sisters who, as believers, need to know better.
1: Thank you. And you are someone, um, and I've used you so much in in the past, I I keep telling you that, you know, I'm going to have to take you out to like 10 dinners or something, but but. Thank you for that. Even the the one thing that you do is that you listen to my heart. I have I unless we unless I ask and unless we get into a real deep conversation, that's usually secondary to my heart when I talk to you about, you know, the specifics about your stance on things. That's usually secondary when I talk to you. Usually when I talk to you, it's you listen, you hear my heart first. And that's all
0: at the least we're asking. Yeah. And let's be honest. I don't even, I don't want to put that on a pedestal. Like, hello, this is, this is what we should be doing as believers. This is not like some amazing skill set or some, you know, calling that, that I have or that you have as, as therapists. This is literally the heart of God designed community. To not step in with judgment first, and I think we have this mindset sometimes as believers to think I need to come in with the answer and the solution, and it removes that that intentionality of really building relationships by seeking to understand, and that's what Christ did, right. Right. And here's the thing when you're doing that. Right. So if,
1: if, if, if that opens, that's a form of healing. Right. But what happens, especially for me in my human nature and what we do to protect ourselves and our defense mechanisms, they kick in. So what I say is we're not talking about this. Oh, I will not be talking to you about this any longer. Right. So I'm at a space to be perfectly honest and transparent where I'm very careful about who I talk to about this, because I then will hopefully alleviate the what about isms. Right. The what about black on black crime? What about this? What about that? Right. The what about isms alleviate the what God said and race doesn't matter conversation. Right. And alleviate you. Completely dismissing, whether it's intentional or unintentional, we have to make sure that we're not trying to trying to uh, make excuses because of our intentions. Right. Because if it's if it still causes a wound, it causes a wound. But your unintentional or intentional dismiss dismissive uh, minimization or flat out rejection of my my emotional response. That that is that is what's hurting. And I can no longer put myself in that position to endure that and then expect to have some type of healing within the the Christian community.
0: Yeah. I mean, the wound, I think the wound analogy is so vivid and so accurate. I mean, it's, it's, you know, if you're, it's like I had a friend whose husband was, was navigating bone marrow cancer and he was going through treatments because his immune system was so weak. He couldn't have anybody around him. Literally couldn't see his kids, couldn't see his wife, nobody, because one minute little germ could absolutely mean the end of his life. And so I think this is a protective factor that is the only thing i mean god heals right so i don't want to minimize that but but you need the space i mean even even christ stole away for that space for healing and restoration with the father and and to have a wound and to put yourself in a place where you're you're actually vulnerable and at risk for further traumatization i mean i want my friend so for 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 selfish reasons take the space because i want my friend um, and I, so I just think about, you know, just, I, I really want to highlight something you said that I think is so incredibly powerful. And that's that validation piece of, you know, why did we get this thought in our head that if I validate your experience, I agree with it. And I, and I want to, I want to just tease that out a little bit. It, it's the very essence of why we're having this podcast and intentionally not making a statement on. You know, whether looting and writing is right or wrong, because it's not about that. It's about validation of the experience of those individuals that are reacting out of a history of oppression and violence and discrimination and profiling and you name it. Um, and that's the focus that we need to have because that's where the healing occurs.
1: Absolutely, and again, I love that you said that because again, if it was any other trauma, yes, there are like I said there are times and there are there is a history of not being believed in different aspects of different types of trauma, but for the most part, those are the acceptable uh traumas and what I mean by that is that at some level we believe that those Different type of whether it's emotional, sexual, uh, physical. We 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 bought into the fact, and we understand that it is actually something that is traumatic. But we haven't done that racially. Therefore, the I can't completely understand. I can't completely empathize. But at the very least, I can sympathize with you because they because I think. That the issue is that people still don't believe it's even a thing. And that's the problem. And that's what deeply hurts. That if it was any other trauma, you, I might get, I might, not everybody, because I understand the history with them. With with different traumas, I might get some empathy because they're overall. Most people believe it that it's, it's 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 a thing. Maybe not to a specific person, depending on how the person responds. But when we talk about racial trauma, we are again supposed to be looked at these strong black folks or these people who are thugs. Or if we didn't do this, or if we didn't do that, so it's never believed. How come the first Response can't be, I believe you. I don't understand. I don't, I can't say that I completely get it. I wasn't there. Something, but I believe your feelings and your response and your hurt and your pain. And I don't see that. And that hurt, especially in the Christian community, that is, that it destroys me. It destroys me. And it's not that I'm asking for permission or asking or begging for you to believe me. Therefore, you hold the keys to my healing because we know who does the almighty. But we were born into community. We were born to be vessels to show God's love. And when that is not mimicked, you know, we talk about a Day, Dei, right? Uh, responding as the, the image of God right? And mirroring the image of God, that's where the divisiveness is for me.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I just think about, again, that idea of reconciliation and, and you captured it beautifully. Imago Dei, made in the image of God. Are we, are we truly responding to the pain of others from that perspective of reflecting their, their reflection? Of our creator and their inherent worth and dignity because they are made in the image of God. I mean, worth and dignity of, of any individual. And it is, it's going to take a lot of work and it's going to take an incredible amount of humility um, to, to come to the table and to say, I love it. I believe you. I believe your emotions. I believe your lived experience. I believe the pain that you are encountering. Um, and it doesn't mean we have to share a similar belief system, a similar political affiliation, a similar interpretation of you know, the, 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 the way to handle various situations, but it absolutely necessitates a willingness to listen with a posture of understanding and validation.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Let me ask you this, Deb. Um, And I asked my husband this as well, but I'm really curious of of your take on this. You have the understanding of what it takes, but you've gone through the journey of getting to that point. Is there some type of, um, I don't know if it's uh, trained yourself or a way that you think or a way that you actually um, come emotion- your your disposition when you do hear these things. Because here's the thing with you and my husband, Craig, is that you guys are you at some level, you're constantly on this journey. You're constantly on this journey, but that takes something to constantly keep yourself open on that journey. Because here's the thing. The reason why individuals have a difficult time with uh, believing is because there is a journey that they have to take. That means that they have to admit something, right? What's your, what's your, how did you get to a point where you're continuously opening up yourself? Because there's a hurt that you may, that you have to endure as well to hear these stories.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think- well, first of all, I think it's important to recognize that that hurt. Not, to, it does, I'm not minimizing it by any means, but it kind of pales in comparison, right? Like my hurt, sort of like the whole white fragility thing. <laughs> but, but I think for me, and I and I don't want to oversimplify this, because but it is really simple in word and very difficult in action. For me, I think about, okay, what's the barrier to my listening to understand right now in any situation, but but we'll play here. What's my barrier to listen? And oftentimes it's rooted in a fear, a fear of admitting, you know, my own bias and, and racism and how that may come across to others or hurt others, or it's a fear of losing power. It's a fear of losing things that I have, and here's the key, put my worth in. And so I need to constantly be in check with God, with my close community of people that hold me accountable, with my pastor and my church, of being reminded daily, sometimes every minute, of the reality that my worth, my dignity, and, and therefore everyone else's, but is made, is, is, is the very fact that I'm made in the image of God. We go back to that Imago Dei. And if that is truly what I believe, what have i got to lose what have i got what have i got to lose in coming into this conversation and placing any agenda i have to the side to really hear your experience even if it's painful for me in having to confront my own racism and bias because let's be honest, we all have it. We all have it. I don't want to hear anybody out there saying they're not racist. We all have it. And it's not because we're intentional in it. And this is a very controversial statement, I realize. I mean, that's just the reality of living in a human world. Humans make mistakes and humans influence one another. So there's some belief you hold possibly based on the way you were raised. We'll just leave it. Um, And so if, if, if my worth doesn't lie in how i'm perceived by others or 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 how i'm treated by others or in 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 my own actions then i can hold myself accountable to those actions and I can come into the conversation with humility um and that's and and i want to be careful i'm not saying that it excuses anything in fact it should give permission to be an agent of reconciliation and to recognize and to take ownership and to lament the history of perhaps what my uh, my brothers and sisters my white brothers and sisters have have done historically um, in this country and more because my worth doesn't depend on it but but my God ordained community does
1: Right so it doesn't take anything away from you. It doesn't. The the worst that can happen is that you heal, that you're aware, and that God does some character shifting in you or God does some healing in you, therefore, will actually then spill over and affect the community. That's the worst that can happen. But that's why it's difficult to counsel sometimes, uh, sometimes to counsel adults, right? Because we've been so stuck in our belief system that our reputation, our beliefs that are, that we were just so dedicated and, and they become idols, Yes, right? That we don't want, it's a threat if we have to change those. Therefore I'm going to shift mentally. And sometimes again, I said, it's unconscious. We will shift and we will bend and we'll do mental gymnastics so that we can keep that in place. Cause it's way too painful to address, right? And that's where all those defense mechanisms come up. But what's, what, what we're doing is that we are now using that to the detriment of the continuation of hurting and re-traumatizing and re-wounding our Black brothers and sisters.
0: Yeah, it's become a weapon. Yep. And, and frankly, I choose to believe in a God that is bigger than all of those fears. That of what I might lose, what I might have to sacrifice, what I might have to lay down at the altar, so to speak. I'm, my God is bigger than all of that. And so I am willing, and I hope others are too, to step into this process of reconciliation by first and foremost owning what I have brought to the table.
1: Amen. Amen. This was, this was a beautiful, beautiful conversation,
0: Deb. Thank you so much. I'm I'm so grateful for you because I know this is not an easy conversation and I know this required you to intentionally step forward and to, and to open that wound and to be vulnerable. And so I, I just want to say, um, I thank you for that. You're
1: welcome. Thank you.
0: Thanks again for listening today. We hope that you like and subscribe to our podcast, wherever you listen to podcasts, you can find us on all those channels becoming well.